Um, and we're going to jump in this morning uh, to uh, the book of Matthew. So Matthew chapter 6 this morning, if you have your Bible, otherwise I'll put it on the screen for you. We're in this series where we're, we're talking about, uh, we're titled it, Hallowed Be Your Name, because we're, we're looking at God and we're trying to understand, like, he is, he's holy, he's, um, he's huge, he's great, but also he um, is a God that's close to us and that loves us deeply. And so we've been looking at the different members of the Trinity, uh, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, who they are in themselves, and also how they relate to each other. We've looked the last couple of weeks at the cross and, and like what Jesus did to die for us and how we're reconciled and healed through what Jesus did. We looked last week at the church and God's plan for that. What we're going to do this week and the next few weeks is um, something that we call the four G's, okay? And if you've been around Creekside for a while, you've probably heard these before. Um, and they're, they're, it comes originally from this author, Tim Chester, uh, that talks about these four truths about God, that God is great, God is good, God is glorious, God is gracious. And it has, every one of them has a practical um, uh, uh, turn to it, I guess you could say. So the danger in talking about God, we've already talked about this our first week, the danger in talking about God is we're trying to understand everything about him. And we, we, it becomes intellectual. And okay, now I know these things about God. But we want always our heart to be in this posture of worship towards God. Where we, we learn about him and so we're connecting to him and we're worshiping him. And these four G's are meant to um, get us into the spot where we begin to relate ourselves to God um, directly. So here's, here's our G for this morning. God is great. The key statement, God is great, so I don't need to be in control. Now, I know right off the bat, some of you are like, um, yes, I do need to be in control. But I just want to try to convince you this morning not to be. I want to start by asking you this. Um, uh, if, is your life this morning, uh, how many of you, your life is somewhere between fine and great? Like, why don't you just slip a little hand up. Between fine and great. How do you happy your crew first service, actually? <clears throat> if your life is somewhere between fine and great, let me just ask you, why is that the case? Why is your life fine or really good? Is it because you've made great choices, you're doing really well in life, uh, because you've worked hard, you, you're educated, you've like taken the opportunities? Or is it because God is blessing you and God is caring for you and God is providing you, uh, providing for you? Th these, are, these are like the reason why we think we're in a good spot, I think, says something about how we're relating to God and how we view him. Uh, the rest of you, the, the vast majority of you, are in that spot of like life is somewhere less than fine to like really terrible right now. And also there's some of you that just didn't hear me ask the question. I get it. Um, but life is like less than fine or it's terrible. And I'll just ask you the same question. Why? Why is life so bad right now? Is it because um, you failed? Is it because uh, you're being punished for something you've done in the past? Is it because, like, what is the reason behind life being bad? Or, or is it possible that still you're in this big picture that God is weaving and doing this big thing, this, this amazing, beautiful story that you're maybe in one of the valleys in this uh, plot line that God is working? Like, what, how do we attribute uh, our situation and what we're feeling? How do we explain that? And what I'm going to invite you to do this morning is we look at Jesus' words in Matthew 6, and as we consider this key statement that God is great, so I don't have to be in control, uh, I'm going to invite you just to see your life uh, the way that Jesus sees it. Um, it's a way of taking what we know about God and making it really practical. And so we're going to keep coming back to this thought, God is great, so I don't have to be in control. Let's start in Matthew 6, verse 25. Listen to what Jesus says. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
So here is Jesus uh, telling us not to worry, okay? And I, like I know, like you guys are coming in here, and I think a lot of us are coming in this morning, maybe more than any other mornings, or maybe it's just like this long series of mornings where um, you're coming in and you're, you're kind of beat down a little bit by life. You're discouraged, you're exhausted, um, work's never been tougher, relationships that you have with other people are like broken and hurting, and so you come in and there's this pain and this frustration and this exhaustion that you come in with. And I'm just going to tell you, based on what Jesus says, um, anxiety makes sense in a situation like that. But I'm telling you, it's not the right answer to it, okay? I'm, I guess I'm not telling you. Jesus is telling us anxiety, worry over what's facing you is not the right answer to that. I, I doubt you're sitting here thinking like, no, I think I'll legitimately help this whole thing by worrying about it a ton. You probably don't feel that way, but it is so easy to get stressed. And I think that anxiety that we feel is this sense of I'm losing control and I need to regain control. Um, I think that's so often what drives us in this. There's this interesting um, financial background to this passage. So in the, in the verses prior, Jesus has been talking about don't be a person that's trying to lay up all your treasure in heaven, like getting rich now, lay, or, sorry, on earth, getting rich now. Lay your treasure up in heaven instead. That's what Jesus is saying. Like, like, be rich towards God, but don't worry about stockpiling your goods now. And here, he's kind of sticking, I think, somewhat at least in that uh, wealth and, and material benefits thing of saying, like, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or gonna, what you're going to put on. Um, your body's more than food. Your body's more than, life's more than food. Your body's more than clothing. He's, he's inviting us to not put our trust in our riches. I think if you, if you read through the whole New Testament, you find the Bible kind of has a problem with rich people. And if you live in an area like this, um, that should make us uncomfortable, okay? Because none of us feels rich, but like in terms of world standards, we definitely are. The Bible is like really uneasy about rich people. And the problem is not the money itself. It's not the goods themselves. It's not the houses or the cars or anything like that. The problem that I think the New Testament has um, with rich people is that they're focused on their money. They're, they're always thinking about their money. And they're really like they're depending on their money. The money is the thing that saves them or that makes everything okay or that sets the, the, the safety net so that everything will be fine. On the flip side, Jesus is now talking about the anxious person. It, it's, it seems like he's more talking to a, a poorer person here, right? Because it's someone who's like really worried about what they're going to eat or what they're going to wear. And he's saying to that person, I think the exact same thing he would say to the wealthy person, which is um, don't think about money all the time. Don't be focused on money. Don't, don't be dependent on money. The question we have to ask ourselves is, like, it really is a matter of trust. And so asking ourselves, what do I believe? Okay, given my tough situation, what do I believe is going to stabilize the situation? Or what's going to, like, save me in this situation? And I think so often it's, um, it's money, right? Or it's, or it's provision. Um, it's, it's things that we could have around us. And so often our preoccupation with money is about sort of regaining control of our lives. Like, I feel like things are skidding. I feel like I, I'm not in control of where I'm headed, and so I need to regain control over this whole thing. I think that's what drives sometimes um, our, our, like, thrifty ways of being, you know, when it's like, okay, I'm not going to spend a lot of money, and it's like, so that. I'm going I'm to be thrifty, which is great, and my, my grandpa would be very proud of anyone in here that is thrifty, but, like, uh, so often it's like, I can't give up more money, otherwise things will fall apart. And um, we sort of, you know, get closer in and, and we're like sh shepherding our money really, really tightly. And I think what it does is it's, it's, 
it holds us back from, like, it, it just shows how much faith and confidence we have in our own ability to control our financial resources and the need for those things if we're going to be okay. In a, in a church this size, like, I feel like um, what often happens is, like, I, a lot of people get held back from giving, I think, because you feel like, Resources are tight. Inflation is through the roof. Like, the, the, who knows what the economy is doing? And we begin to kind of tighten up. And, and what it shows is, like, how much we depend on our money. And we're not willing to be generous to, to help someone who's poor, to, to give to a missions organization, to give to our local church. Um, because we, we equate so much our happiness and our stability in life with, like, our ability to live in a certain size and location of a house. Um, to, to have a certain kind of a car, to have a certain kind of vacation, to have those kinds of things. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm pointing these things out, and I just want to say, th- these things exist in every price range. So if you're like the millionaire person in here, like, welcome. We're glad to have you uh, with us. Um, I'll give you the giving link later. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, if, you're, if you're there, like, I'm telling you, there are all these things where you feel like money controls, like, stabilizes you and everything else. And if you're, like, barely making your rent payments, I'm saying it's the exact same thing. The dollar amounts are different, but that's all that's different about it. Um, And so I think what Jesus is speaking to here in, don't be anxious about your stuff. I think he's speaking to the grip we have on the money. It's not the money itself. It's not the stuff itself. It's not our standard of living itself, I don't think. It's the grip that we have um, on all this stuff. And by the way, I I feel very... uh, confident, comfortable talking about uh, giving as an illustration of this because giving has been great lately. You guys have been doing an awesome job. So I'm preaching to the choir. Um, It's been awesome. But I think it's like this indicator often of what we're trusting in and what we find our confidence in. I think Jesus is inviting us to take our theology, what we know about God, and begin to make it practical. So We've talked about uh, God the Father, and we said he's both transcendent and he's imminent. So when we said he's transcendent, we're saying he literally is bigger than everything. He, he created the universe. He's so much bigger, larger, and more in control of everything that we could possibly imagine. The only reason anything at all exists is because God himself chose to give existence to everything that we have. All the wealth, all the possessions in the universe ultimately belong to God. We ourselves, our very life comes from him, and so he is transcendent and he's big. Also, though, he is intimate, and he's close, and he's near to each one of us. He describes himself as a shepherd to us, as his people. And so there's this truth about God that he owns everything, and he also cares intimately about us. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, do I actually believe that about God? Does that, does what I believe about God, that God is great, does it have anything to do with my actual daily life? And these circumstances that are stressing me out today, does it matter for the daily circumstances? We talk about Jesus, we talk about God coming down and living amongst human beings and experiencing what we're experiencing, be be able to relate to us in our suffering and our joys and our pains, and and then laying his life down uh, to to forgive us of our sins, to reconcile us to God. And so the question we ask again is, do I believe that? Does it matter in my daily life that, that I am loved so deeply that God himself would come in Jesus and offer his life for me? We talked about the Spirit of God who is literally just God living inside of us and empowering us beyond in our weakness and in our frailty. He's coming and he's making us alive from the inside out. He's giving us power to endure and do the things that we can't do on our own. And the question is, is that theological belief that we hold? Is it just in our heads? Or when we hit these situations where we are beyond our limits and we know that, I, man, I'm, I'm too exhausted, I'm too frustrated, I'm too discouraged to do something else, do we believe The Spirit of God is actually in us. All of this is an invitation for us to see God for who he actually is and to believe that he matters for us. 
Jesus says at the end of verse 25 there, is, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He's inviting us to step back and see there's a bigger picture. Then, then when we get so focused on our needs, we're like, this is the most important thing. This is the biggest thing. And he's just saying, hey, life is way bigger than that. Even your body is way more important than, than just these things. And, and he's, he's allowing us, inviting us to see that there's this bigger life in all this. And, and he'll explain more of this, but first he's going to kind of debunk our worrying. When we see problems in our life, and we do all have them, our response is to worry. And he's saying, let me show you, he's going to show us two reasons why that's nonsense. First reason is this, God's provision for us is meticulous. Meticulous meaning like he's in the details of all of it. So look at what he says in verses 26 and 27. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So here he's saying, like, your reasons, your, your, your anxiety is really dumb because God himself feeds even the birds, okay? And I, I read that, and my first thought is, um, okay, Jesus, that's kind of a terrible analogy because the thing is, like, birds, li- my, com- my life is way more complex than a bird's, okay? You see birds, they're always just, like, goofing off. They're just, like, floating around, and they're just doing whatever. So, like, yeah, God, it's easy for you to care for the birds, but, like, my problems and my issues are way more complex than that. Um, but I, uh, I, you know, I brought myself to say that out loud uh, in, in the privacy of my study on this, and now I'm saying it to you as more of a confession. What's crazy is um, I, I stopped and thought to myself, why, like, why do I assume that my life is more complex than a bird's life, you know? Like, I mean, that's a little uh, arrogant, anthropocentric, you know, like uh, birds matter too. But, um, but Jesus' argument here is not, he's not saying, you guys, birds have a really easy life, and so God has an easy time caring for them, but he could probably work something out for you as well, right? That's not the logic Jesus is getting at. Jesus is getting at, like, hey, Birds aren't even that important in the big scheme of things. That's kind of what Jesus is saying. Birds aren't even that important, and yet God makes sure they have everything that they need as they go about their day and, and their life and whatever. And so he is also going to care for you. And, and I have to step back and just realize, okay, in terms of God's provision, it is not any more complex or difficult for God to make sure that my needs are met than it is to make sure a bird's needs are met, right? How silly of me to think like, oh, yeah, my— my, my emotional, relational, physical needs are way more complicated. And God's like, come on, guy. Like, you're easy to take care of. You're like as easy as a bird for me. To, like, God is power, powerful and capable of anything. Why would I assume that my problems are more complex than that to God? The, the other thing I, th- I see here is he's saying like, okay, these, these birds, they, they don't sow or reap or gather into barns. God feeds them. And, um, and I just want us to see, he's not arguing that we should be really passive, you know? Just like sit at home and, you know, wait for the stimulus checks to come in or like whatever. Um, think of how God feeds the birds. He's, he's not like, God doesn't train birds to just kind of open their beaks for a couple minutes a day and just like the ants come like walking into there or whatever birds eat. Um, birds are like active. They're going around, they're hunting, they're searching for their food, they're finding it where they can find it. And he's just saying, even with all the effort that they expend, God's the one that makes sure that at the end of the day, they have everything that they need. The same thing for us, right? We, we go about our day, we do our things, we, we like, we, we're responsible, we work hard, and we, we invest in all these things. But at the end of the day, it's the same thing. God's going to make sure that we have everything we need because God cares for the birds. He loves the birds. He cares for the birds. We are even more valuable than the birds. And God's like, Yes, of course, I am going to care for everything that you need. Um, there, there's a few statements that I, um, that I don't know if they're controversial or what, but um, uh, 
they, uh, they, they get used in like a Calvinistic sense. Uh, I'll just tell you this. Let me read a few of these. I shared these a few weeks ago. Ephesians 1.11 says that in Jesus we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the will of him, um, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What this is saying is, like, God has, like, set this course for us in all things. Everything works according to the counsel of his will. God decides how everything ultimately is going to work out. Now, there was a time when I was 20 years old, and I read this verse, and I was, like, extremely Calvinistic, and I'm like, God controls every detail of everything, and in my mind, it just locked into place, and I understood exactly how that worked together and, like, how to explain it and everything else. I've gotten older. I'm still just as much of a Calvinist as I was then, but I also don't believe I can explain it anymore. I don't understand how God does this, but I believe that it's true. I think he's literally telling us, like, hey, step back, big picture, zoom out. God's in control of all this. Look at, look at what he says in Romans 8, 28 there. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, that's not a promise that everything's going to feel great to us. It's not a promise that everything's going to go according to our plan, but it is saying that there's this big picture plan that God has where, where for those of us that love him, like he's like everything is ultimately coming together for this good big thing. Um, we don't have to understand how it works. Uh, we, don't, we don't have to like totally feel great about it, but I think the thing is, is we have to hear God is saying this about himself, about how he works with us. Proverbs 16.33 is the craziest verse. The lot, which is like a dice, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. I, God's provision for us is meticulous. He's in the details. Now, again, I am, I am 41 years old now, and I get it. I don't understand how this works. I don't know how that works with all the other things that happen in the world, but I'm just saying, hear the voice of the Lord saying to you, I am big, and I am powerful, and I am wise, and I see the big picture of all this, and I'm telling you that there's nothing that's happening in this world that I'm, like, absent from. Like, he is engaged, and he's with it, and he's working in ways that go beyond uh, what we see and what we know. And the question is, the whole question is, do we trust that God is involved in that? And do we trust that he's a loving father um, that is feeding the birds and will feed us as well? He adds in, in verse 27 here, before moving on, he adds this little bonus reason why we don't worry. He says, which of you by, by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Have you ever sat back and been really stressed about a problem and then it gets resolved and you're like, I'm just so glad that I worried about that as much as I did. Um, no way, no way. Um, you know, some of it's our wiring, and I'm, I'm wired to be a, like, not stressed out person in most situations. Um, but there's no way we come to the end of it and think, man, I really should have worried more about that. We, you, don't, you can't add any time to your life whatsoever. It, it is what it is, and so um, we're not helping ourselves. Okay, so the first reason um, not to worry is that God is meticulous in his provision. The second one is that God is extravagant in his provision. He goes above and beyond. He's wasteful even in the way that he provides um, for his people. Let's read in verses 28 um, to 30 here. He says, Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So I think he's picturing, he's, he's getting us to say, okay, God's going to care for you because think about the flowers. So think about a lily, think about a flower. And he's just saying like God makes it insanely beautiful. It's portraying God, I think, as an artist here. And, um, and there's different ways you could try to go about defining art, but I, my favorite way of defining art is it's that element that exceeds utility. Like, it goes beyond what's strictly necessary, okay? And so you could, you could um, 
design something in a way that there's function to it, but anything you add beyond the function to make it look better or, or be a little more interesting or more beautiful or whatever, that's the artistic part of it. Art is always wasteful in a sense because um, it, it goes like beyond what is like absolutely bottom line utilitarian necessary, and it adds something that's, that's great to look at, that, that adds pleasure and thought-provoking um, uh, elements to it. And so anything like with art is wasteful. And I think what it's showing here is that's how God is. That's how goodness and beauty is. Now, think of a flower. I think that there are practical uses for flowers. So I, I know about pollination, but I don't know totally how that works, but I know flowers are involved in that whole thing. There's something about when flowers die, they kind of uh, compost the ground, I think, probably. They feed probably animals, I think. So there's function with flowers. But there's also such a thing as grass that I think does those same things. I don't know about the pollination thing. I'll have to look into that for a few years from now when I teach this again. But, um, but, uh, but, but, he's, but like flowers are more beautiful than they need to be. Like that is just true. They are way more beautiful than they need to be. Think, think of it like this. Um, we've got like artworks from Da Vinci and Rembrandt and, and Picasso and stuff. And these are in museums. And we take really good care to make sure that nothing happens to them, right? Like really good care. And when they start to degrade and, and kind of fall apart, there's these restoration things that we do because we got to make sure that we don't lose a Da Vinci artwork, right? I'm like for that totally. That makes a lot of sense to me. But God is in this whole thing, and God creates these works of art. Just imagine, okay, just imagine you've got like the Mona Lisa, and then let's imagine you came from a world in which there are no flowers at all, okay? No, you've never seen a flower in your life, and you walk in, and here's the Mona Lisa, and then here is a lily just sitting there, right? I'm going to tell you, like, I am certain you would be like, oh my gosh, this, this thing, what is this lily? Like you would, this is the most exquisite artwork because it's fragile, it's beautiful, it's like radiant, it's kind of, it's alive. Like it's, it's unbelievable. And here's God making these exquisite artworks and he even says it in here like, they're here today and they're gone tomorrow. God makes these things and he's not even stressed about the fact that these really epically beautiful things that he creates uh, wither and die. And also God makes it so that then they grow up again, right? When the rain comes back and everything else. Like, God is a God of just, like, abundance and extravagance. He's a God that goes way beyond what's strictly necessary. Um, even when things are temporary, like, he's working. Now, now I've, I've been thinking about the implications of this psalm, and I'm a little bit hesitant to go here, but I'm just going to dive in with a lot of confidence, okay? Uh, my wife, Laura, her um, great aunt died recently, and um, she was 101 years old. Now, that is a full life, right? Um, that's like, you can't ask for more than that. That's amazing. She lived 101 years in which she got to see God's faithfulness to her, where she like experienced and reflected the beauty of God to the world around her. That's, that's 101 years of just like fullness of God being faithful and beautiful to her, right? Um, I love that. That's amazing. But then I think of a lot of you guys, and there's people in here, you've lost children. Um, you've lost children at the age of 50. You've lost children who were 25 years old. You've lost children who were 15. Some of you have lost kids that were just days old. And, and we ask the question, like, why? Like, what's the purpose? What's whatever? But I will say this. I don't understand the big picture, but I really don't. I don't understand how that fits with all the care that, that, that's being d discussed here in this passage about how God cares for his people. But I do think this. Even in a few years or a few hours or a few days or whatever it is that we have with a kid, there is the beauty of God being reflected in that person, right? They're experiencing the beauty of God. They're reflecting it to us. There's, there's this um, overflowing beauty of God that comes that's regardless of the longevity of the thing. Like there's this reminder that like God is good in, in all of it. And even if the time is short with these things, there's this whole thing. Now, I, 
if it was me, I would set a, a time limit on like, okay, God, like, if you're going to give us something good, make sure that we get to enjoy it for a long time. But um, I do know this. God, God's plan and his purpose are too big for me to be able to appreciate everything about it. And they're way too big for me to be able to evaluate it. Like I cannot look at anything and feel like I know better than God about the timing or the circumstances or anything like that. And so there's this, there's this reminder. God promises to work good in all of our lives, but he doesn't promise that it's going to feel great to us. He doesn't promise that we're going to understand it all. He doesn't promise that our lives are going to be pain-free. He doesn't promise us that we're never going to have any suffering. But in the midst of all these things, I think there's all this beauty and these reminders of God's care for all of this. So my point with all this is just with God, none of it's wasted. Like he is, he is wasteful. He's over the top. But it's, none of it is actually wasted because it's beautiful. It's valuable. It's part of what God's doing. And we can see in all of this God's um, work to care for us and provide for us. I want you to see at the end of uh, verse 30, he says, if God so clothes the grass of the field, meaning like he's saying even Solomon, the richest person that's ever lived, like he didn't look anything like one of these lilies uh, that God makes that's just here so temporarily. So if God clothes the grass of the field this way, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So he's looking at these people and he's saying, you have a little bit of faith, right? There's not much faith that you have, but, but even in your lack of faith, don't you know God's going to provide for you? He's not saying God will provide for you if you just get more faith so that he will provide for you. He's saying to people who have little faith, don't you know God's going to care for you even in that? Like it, it's not dependent on how much faith we have. God is the father who's going to care for them. And it is such a good and important reminder for us because so many of us, I think just we're just limping through a season of life. And it's like, man, I, I'd love to get it together so that I can worship God. And he's just saying, God's there for you, caring for you, regardless of the amount of faith you have. If you're sitting there in the midst of your worry, it's okay. God's still going to provide for you. He's going to be caring for you. But he's inviting us to see something more. Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, was a preacher in the, the 20th century. He said, we believe in Jesus, but we don't always believe Jesus. Does that make sense? We believe in him, but we don't always believe what he says. So here is Jesus, our Lord and Savior, speaking to us and saying, the Father will provide all of your needs because he, he cares for the birds and he's going to care for you. He, he goes overboard in making the, 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 um, the grass and the flowers beautiful. He's going to make sure you have what you need. Can we hear in what Jesus is saying, the voice of God saying that like, man, he's there with us. He's promising to be with us. Now, here's how he closes this off, this little section here. Verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So here is Jesus saying, okay, don't be anxious. He's reminding us again. And again, like our, our point is we could say, God is great, so I don't have to be in control. So I'm not going to be anxious about these things. So he's saying, um, don't be anxious. Don't ask, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? And he says in verse 32, that the Gentiles seek after these things. Your father knows that you need these things. So the Gentiles, it's like the non-Jewish people. So it's, it's basically kind of like saying the people who don't believe in your God. It's like saying, look, atheists, uh, ask questions like, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? How am I going to dress? And, and to me, this is not me trying to pick on atheists at all, but this is like, this to me is logic. If you don't believe there's a God who's in control that's going to like care for you, then, then there's no promises to you of like, 
all your needs are going to be met. So it makes sense for an atheist to be stressed about what they're going to eat or what they're going to wear or how they're going to make ends meet, right? It makes logical sense to me. What doesn't make logical sense is for someone that is saying, yes, God is great and I believe that, to be in a spot of saying, but I still need to maintain control over my life, right? When you have a God that is great and is saying, I will provide everything you need, just trust in me, it's illogical for us to say, okay, yeah, I believe God's great and I believe he'll provide, but also I need to make sure that I have control. We're invited beyond that. We're invited to um, not function as though God doesn't exist, but to instead take this uh, theology, the things we know about God, and begin to let it sink down practically in our lives and say, okay, even though I can't see a way out of this situation, even though I'm really suffering here, even though I don't know like, how I'm going to get the strength to go on, I hear the Father saying that he loves me and that he'll care for me. I hear him saying to, to look around at the birds and see how well cared they are, how well cared for they are, and to invite myself to think, okay, the Lord's going to care for me in that as well. To see the beauty of the flowers and think God's going to go above and beyond in how he provides for me. And so Jesus' alternative to all that is, um, he says in verse 33, Instead of worrying, what we do is we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I love that he's not just saying, like, don't worry, stop worrying, and we're just like, walk out of here, focus on, okay, gotta stop worrying, gotta stop worrying. No, instead of that, walk out of here and just seek the kingdom of God. Like, believe that Jesus is the king. Believe that his ways are best. Ways like uh, loving God above all else and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Ways like uh, laying down our lives, loving those who persecute us. Um, Ways like being humble, being gracious, um, letting the fruit of the Spirit flow through us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Let these things flow out. Believe that there's a kingdom like that and that God is the king and that that actually is better for all of us. Um, to, to pursue these things. And if we in faith believe that, then he says, pursue all of that. And if you do, you're going to find you're not worrying. And instead, you're going to find that everything you need is just going to be added along the way. He gives us something positive to pursue. And he reminds us in verse 34, therefore don't be anxious about tomorrow, because tomorrow is going to be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I, I just love that casual dismissal of like, if, if something needs to be stressed over the day, I'll stress over it. Like, don't worry. It'll be, it'll, all the stressing that needs to happen will happen. It'll be fine. But you don't need to be the one that's being stressed about it. I, I love that invitation. And I think what it's looking at is this, okay? If today we believe that God is going to care for everything I need today, if we believe that, then when I look ahead to tomorrow, I, I'm not going to believe, okay, uh, I've got, this is, this is the way we tend to function, okay? We tend to function I've got things in order enough today with the right trajectory so that when I come to tomorrow, I'll be set up and I don't have to worry about anything. That's how we want to function. We're wired that way. But he's saying it like this. Today you're being cared for by a God that knows everything you need, and he's going to give you everything you need for today. And tomorrow, your trajectory might not be in a good spot, right? But tomorrow, that same God who cares for you is going to be caring for you tomorrow. And the next day, that same God who cares for you is going to be that same God caring for you tomorrow. And the faith is not in a plan that we put together or a safety net or in the government or in an election or in anything that's going to fix things for us. The faith is in the God who's going to be with us tomorrow because he's with us today and loves us and carries us through. I have this real tension in my, in my life as I talk about this. I, I believe this deeply, but I have this tension in my life of, um, it's like I want to say to Jesus, um, Jesus, okay, this is great. You're going to take care of everybody's needs and everything else, but say this to the Christians that were like laying down their lives and dying, the, the Christians that were being thrown to the lions, that were being persecuted for their faith and being put to death. And I feel like, okay, Jesus, but these words don't work to those people. But then I step back and I think, 
Jesus was literally saying this to the people that were thrown to the lions and that were literally put to death for their faith. He's saying it to the disciples and a bunch of other people here, um, all but one of whom, history tells us, was like killed for their faith. And so there's this reminder in this that Jesus is saying God's going to care for your needs. It does not mean a happy ending with everything. It does not mean everything's going to be fine, but it does mean he's going to sustain us. He's going to empower us. He's going to be with us. And there's nothing that we can't face in our lives with... with, um, there's nothing that we can't face because God himself is going to be empowering us through that. Every single person that Jesus spoke to here that did go on to be persecuted for their faith and died, they experienced, I believe, the, the uh, presence of God in it, the strength of God to move them forward. And so everything we worry about, all the worst case scenarios, all the things that are tearing us apart, that are weighing us down, here's Jesus just graciously saying, hey, God's got this. Like, you're not okay because you're strong enough. You are okay because God is strong enough. God is great, so I don't have to be in control. I want to um, close this out. The whole point of this is to say that the whole point of this is to say that we want to take the things that we know about God and we want to begin to let that sink down to the level of our heart and how we're posturing ourselves before God. So I'm going to invite you to just be reflective with me for a moment. So could I ask you just where you're at, um, just close your eyes for a minute. And uh, the band's going to come up. We're going we're gonna to sing a little bit more. But I just want you to ask yourself this question. When I walked in here today, what was I carrying with me? So ask yourself what you're carrying and just take a minute to kind of picture that. Maybe even picture yourself right now in the place that you were at this week when you were the most stressed, the most anxious. Your office or someone else's. Your home with your kids, on the phone with somebody. What, did you, what are you carrying into this morning with you. And then I'm going to invite you um, to just take Jesus' invitation to lay it down, to let it go. I want you to picture Jesus saying to you, like, you've carried this long enough. You've done everything that you possibly could, but it's crushing you because you were never designed to carry loads like this by yourself. And I invite you just to listen. I want to read this passage one more time, these words from Jesus, these ima this imagery that he gives us. And I want you to receive it as just a gracious invitation from Jesus himself to you. Carry your burden, lay it down before him, and I'm going to read these words. And I just want you to listen to the voice of Jesus speaking directly to you. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I'm going to invite you to hear this sentence one more time. God is great, so I don't need to be in control. Let's worship and sing together.